you knew what I have survived, uh, you would not judge my praise. Uh, you ought to take the next 30 seconds uh, and just give the devil uh, a black eye.
that said you're not good enough that said your situation is going to be the end of you I've already came in the name of Jesus that says God uh, will tell me when my last breath will come thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Somebody's going to get it tonight. I feel it. Somebody's got their victory in this house. Hallelujah. God help us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's got a word for this house. The only thing God wanted me to preface this with I may not be able to say this anywhere else in this country, but for what God is doing in this house, there is no limitations you need to put on yourself. I'm going to say it again. The generational standard that you've placed over your life that says I can't be anything more than what the family before me did in business in my spiritual walk, in my mind, I'm telling you, there are no limitations in this house. Hallelujah. Matthew 23 and 1. I'm so thankful for the word of God that went forth this morning. Is anybody thankful for the move of God that we had this morning? Come on, there was a spirit of revival, people receiving the Holy Ghost and deliverance. I'm thankful that Bishop and First Lady, that their ministry is needed outside of this house. Anybody thankful for that? I'm so thankful for them. I do not take it lightly that they're not here. I'm scared to death. I love it when they're there. I feel safe. But Bishop asked me to preach. There, there's this word that God gave me about eight or nine months ago. And I, I, I knew at the moment that there would be an opportunity in time when it would be the exact right moment. And I was terrified of when he would ask me to preach it. And it's now. 
I can't escape it. Uh, I've, never, I've never had God spoke to me about a message like this like he has for tonight. Matthew 23, starting at verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for one to be seen of men. They make broad their fire trees and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. This is not an evangelical message. I am specifically speaking to people that God has spoke to you about ministry. You know me by now, I'm not confining ministry to a pulpit. I'm saying that God has spoke to you I'm not talking about what you feel in the dark nights when you're alone. I'm talking about when you're in the power of the Holy Ghost. And God has enlightened your mind about the places that you will go and the people that you will reach. God has spoke to you about your ministry. I want to go even further and say that there's some people here. I felt this so strong. You've got gray hair on your head but you are at the beginning of a world-changing ministry. I don't say I feel that so strong in the Holy Ghost. I don't care what time has said and what the devil tells you, but you have yet to experience the greatest moments of your ministry. Before we pray, I want you to give me just a few moments after I give my title for you not to walk out. Let me redeem myself. But I want to preach tonight from this thought. The deception of oneness. The deception of oneness. Can we lift our hands and pray right now? God, in the Would you lift your voice? Come on, there's something serious in the atmosphere. God's going to deliver you from doubt of your ministry tonight. This will change your life tonight. A life-changing moment. A life-changing service. Clap your hands in the fear of the Lord.
may be seated. The deception of oneness. Now, before everybody clears out, I want to tell you wholeheartedly, undeniably, that this is a one God church. I said this is not an ignorant church where we don't know what we serve or who we serve. But we understand that there is only one name given among men. Am I in a Bible church? Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Lord, John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I just want to tell you, if you happen to be Trinitarian, or maybe you've clicked on this down the road, my whole purpose in this title was to entice you. And when I get done in the next few moments, what you're going to have is a crash course in the oneness of the almighty name of Jesus Christ. Psalm 86 and 10 says, For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Isaiah 44 and 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, the last, and beside me, There is no God. There is no uh, Jehovah Junior. There is no uh, other God. There is no other saint. Uh, There is no Mary. Uh, All praise is to God. James 2 and 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. Uh, The devils also believe. Can I tell you that Satan himself is a oneness believer? Can I tell you that the devils in hell are not Trinitarian, baby? They know the power of the name. They know that God is God. Jesus is his name. Deuteronomy 4 and 35, unto thee it was showed uh, that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. Uh, There is none else beside him. Uh, Hosea 13 and 4, yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Nehemiah 9 and 6, thou, even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth, and the things that are therein, the seas uh, that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee, Colossians 1 and 19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness uh, dwell, Psalm 83 and 18, that men uh, may know that thou whose name alone is uh, Jehovah art the most high over all the earth, uh, Psalm 83, uh, Isaiah 43 and 10, uh, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me there was no God formed neither shall there be after me Malachi 2 and 6 have we not all one father hath not one God created us why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profession
profaning the covenant of our fathers. John 14, 9 through 11. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He hath seen me, hath he seen the Father, and hath sayest thou then, Show us the Father. Does anybody believe in the almighty name? There is no three gods. There is no division of gods. But there is one God. 1 Timothy 3 and 16 and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory Ephesians 4 and 6 one God father of all who is above all through all if you ain't excited yet that you don't know the power of the God you serve it's not in the titles it's not in the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Do I have any Bible students that know the power of the name of Jesus? Isaiah 9 and 6 For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. John 10 and 30 I and my Father are one. Titus 2 and 13 Looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Acts 20 and 28, take ye therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God with he had purchased with his own blood. Romans 3 and 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Mark 12 and 29, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. God is one Lord. Ephesians 4 and 5. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now I get excited when I read these last two. Revelations 1 and 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Colossians 2 and 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now without further explanation, do I have a church that believes there is one God and his name is Jesus? No, 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 you don't understand. When my babies are sick, I don't pray with beads. No, when my body is sick, I don't pray. I don't call on Mary. I don't call, I call on the only sin-killing name that has power in his blood. The name of Jesus. Shout that name. Shout that name. Hallelujah. Clap your hands if you're thankful to know the one true living God. Hallelujah. There's over 300 verses in the Bible that says one God. It's never mentioned in the Bible anything about the Trinity. I'm not, I don't have the time for a theological discussion and honestly, I'm not qualified to have it. 
But there is one God and there is a spirit in the earth that desires more than anything for his people, his children, not to know his name. Because when you understand that the name of Jesus healed you, that the name of Jesus has power in it, you won't say any other name. Hallelujah. Over 300 verses. There's one Lord. There's one God. Mark 12 and 28 would say it like this. It's called the Shema, which is the first commandments of all and starting in 29 of chapter 12. It says, and Jesus answered him. There's a young boy that's asking Jesus some questions. He says, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, the Shema that's quoted by Matthew chapter 22 Verse 37 adds a little bit of detail and context to why there is truly only one God. Why is it so important, preacher, that I believe in this oneness message? It says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now verse 40 sheds some light that we all need to understand. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Baby, the whole Bible is hinged on oneness. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It doesn't make any other sense any other way. Hallelujah. There's only one Lord. His name is Jesus. Come on. He holds my tomorrow. Come on, he knows the plans that he has for me. Come on, there's an expected end. I'm not guessing on whether I'm gonna make it or not. God holds my tomorrow. My faith is in Jesus. You may be seated. It's undisputed. Is anybody thankful? I, this year I'll make 35 years old. I was raised Pentecostal apostolic. I used to think, you know, man, when am I going to hit the lottery and I'm going to have some heirs, leave me some money. But what I didn't understand is that if you were born in this, come on, if you didn't have to live through false doctrine and break through those scars and those hurdles, you have a lot to be thankful for to be sitting tonight in a one God apostolic church uh, that preaches truth that's unadulterated. Can I get an amen? Is anybody thankful to be in a one God Jesus name church? Uh, sin killing, devil stomping, aisle running. Come on, he's still my healer. Come on, he's still my provider. On my worst day, I can call the name Jesus. I said, Jesus. I'm preaching about the deception of oneness. 
There ain't no doubt there's going to be some people from the Trinitarian faith click on this. I pray that God raises up a generation and he's already doing it. But it's not a shame to walk through their school hallways and claim that Jesus is Lord. Woo! It's not a shame to go to a restaurant and you see a waitress that's broken from the world. Say, it's okay. I know a God that can heal you. I know a God that doesn't have to fill you full of prescriptions and full of sin. There's a God. Jesus is his name. I'm going somewhere. The deception of oneness. I think I'm sixth generation or seventh generation. I'm not terribly positive I owe a debt of gratitude to my mother she raised me and my sisters in church my entire life in a split household my father did not know God it was hell on earth for her But when your life is not your own, when, you, when you've died to this flesh, there are some things that you're willing to die for. You, ain't, you didn't hear what I said. I said when you've been threatened by the adversary with death, there's some things you're not afraid to die for. I'm just here to declare to the devil of this city, I'm willing to die for this truth. I'm willing to die for my children. I'm willing to die for my marriage. I'm willing to die for righteousness, holiness, separation. I'm willing to die for the Jesus name message. So she knew what it was like to serve God when nobody was watching. She knew what it was like to serve God in a way that wasn't glorious. She knew how to serve God in a way that nobody really knew her name. She was an unsung hero of my life. So preacher, you said there's deception in oneness. And yes, there absolutely is. Where do we define the deception of oneness? It's not in our doctrine. Come on, we, we, we have perfected the doctrine. Used to, 30 years ago, if somebody asked you about some, some questions about plural pronouns in Scripture, we'd get all scared and we'd just say, Jesus is his name. But we live in a day and time where the Scripture has been unearthed, not only to support uh, what we believe that, that Jesus is uh, his name. There is no denying that the oneness is the fullness of the Godhead. Our doctrine's right. The deception of oneness is the spirit behind our service. The deception of oneness is when we serve. The deception of oneness is in the spirit behind what we do in the house of God. The deception of oneness is what's rooted in our ministry. Now, I want to go ahead and say this. 
this message is much bigger than me. I, I, don't, I don't really feel equipped to preach it, but I'm going to preach what God gave me. There's a problem in the church body throughout this world to where the deception of oneness is not with our doctrine. It's with our service. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we know here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We know that God and Jesus is his name. But why do we really serve? Why, why, are, we really, why are we really preaching? Why are we really, really serving in the kingdom of God? If we're honest with ourselves, there's moments throughout our walk with God where we have realized we were not serving God for God. We were serving God, as our scripture, our open text said, as sometimes it's so men can see us. No, it's okay. It's sometimes so that we can get a phone call for a, a meeting. It's sometimes so that we can get the views for the real, so that we can get some type of recognition for what God's doing inside of us. There's just something in our flesh that desires the admiration of others. God's going to help somebody tonight. You've been wondering why things haven't moved and God's saying, I just need you to recognize why you're doing what you're doing before I can promote you. I just need you to understand that when it happens, I need you to understand that it is not by your strength, it's not by your intelligence, it's not by your anointing, it's not by your flesh, it is by my glory. I will share it with no man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's where our deception's at. We've perfected the faith. We've per perfected the doctrine. I tried to look up. There's so many books and podcasts. Any type of literature you want to look at for how to dig into why oneness is the way, the truth, and the light, uh, you can find it. But what you have trouble finding uh, is how do I get myself out of my ministry? How do I get myself out of the way of what God's trying to use me with? How do I hide myself behind the cross? How can I hide myself to where when people see God in me, they don't see me? That's where our deception is. God spoke this word to me. Death by distraction. Death by distraction. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we have gotten a little distracted from our mission. I feel it tonight. That's okay. I said we've got a little distracted. And what happens is, if we're not very, very careful about what God has us to do as a work, we will start to think that the work is our identity. Because see, I'm a preacher, but I'm not a preacher by identity. And I may play music, but I'm not a musician by identity. 
I'm just a broken vessel that God found at the perfect moment before the devil consumed me. And he said, there's still something left in him for me to use him. Yeah, we, we've, gotten, we've gotten distracted. We've gotten distracted on our, our main audience. Who are we doing this for? You don't understand what I'm saying. Everything that my hand touches, I got to ask myself, who is this for? Because when we get distracted, we start to lose focus on who gets the glory. No, it becomes about a name and a ministry. It becomes about a recognition and it comes about a progression of where I should be in my ministry. That's where the deception of oneness is. We preach about uh, we preach against Trinitarianism through our doctrine, but we adopt it through our faith of our ministry. Because if you're honest, and I'm just gonna preach about myself, there's been moments in my life where I said, as long as somebody's watching me mop this floor, I'll go ahead and mop this floor. And as long as somebody's watching me pick up this sheet of paper, I'll pick up this sheet of paper. As long as somebody knows I'm teaching a Bible study, I'll turn the number in. As long as somebody sees me reaching, I'll reach. Can I tell you, there's a deception in Pentecost, and it's not our doctrine, but it's it's our service. It's rooted in the father of all lies himself over pride. It's not our fault. It's our, it's our nature. You shouldn't be shocked when you fall. You shouldn't be trying to, but my Lord, we're just flesh and bone and sinew. God knew we're broken vessels. It's our own tendencies. It's our own natural flesh to try and find glory from something that he's doing. But there's a place that you can get in your walk with God that gets broken and says, God, if nobody ever knows my name, God, if you never move me off of a front row, out of the congregation, God, if they never hear me God I will serve you does anybody believe that tonight God I will serve you I serve an audience of one I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I'm humbled that you may be blessed but God I, I'm doing this for you God if it's a disappointment God I did it for you God if nobody hears me God I did it for you We've got a oneness problem, but it's not our doctrine. That's why we got preachers and pastors across this nation that's given up churches because they've compared themselves amongst themselves. Can I tell you, you wouldn't give your church up if you was doing it for God and God alone? Come on. 
Pastors, when somebody's sitting in your office wanting to quit, uh, when somebody's telling you, I don't have what it takes, uh, I don't trust you, I don't believe in you, baby, I thank you for your honesty, but I'm not doing it for you anyway. Uh, God is my master. Uh, God holds my tomorrow. My ministry is rooted in oneness. Oh, I feel that. Uh, Somebody needs to declare that. Uh, Devil, you've had me long enough. Uh, I'm not running this race again. Uh, All the glory goes to God. Uh, All the glory goes to God. Uh, All the glory goes to God. Comparison. We start to look at the fruit. We inspect the fruit of other trees. Rather than facilitating some pruning on our own branches. Why? Because we're so concerned with what other people think. We're so concerned what another organization is thinking about us. Can I tell you that in a church full of world changers, I respectfully tell you I don't care what you think. I do what I do for God in God alone. I look to make my father proud. I'm not looking to make anybody else proud. Comparison has killed more ministries by distraction than sin ever has. I'll say that again. The distraction of comparisons. If I'm being honest, out of anything I've ever done in my life this week, the devil threw every distraction, but God told me it was coming. If God wouldn't have spoke it to me, I'd have just thought the devil's picking on me. And I tell you that right before God uses you the most, he will send small foxes into your vineyard to make you chase your own tail. I'll say it again. I said, sometimes we get upset because the fox is even there. But if we would learn to just let go and let God, if we would just say, God, uh, I ain't got time for this today. Uh, God, the small foxes are here. God, I can't deal with it. God, you deliver it. This week was supernatural. Anything that can go wrong did go wrong. What God was telling me is that if your ministry is predicated off of how you feel, if your ministry is relegated by the things that you go through in a day-to-day walk, son, you're not as strong as I thought you were. Can I tell you that God's raising some people in this house that's gonna be able to fight hell on earth Monday through Saturday, but also walk into this church on Sunday and have a hand on somebody's head saying, God, use me. God, I'm not distracted. God, I'm locked in. God, I'm ready. Hallelujah. I'm not dying by distraction. I'm not dying by, you, you, you could have came a couple years ago and you'd have got me, but I know too much now. I ain't got time for all that. You want to complain and murmur and go to whoever and whatever about things that are wrong with you. Baby, you do it. I got an assignment from God Almighty that says there's a city outside these doors for me to reach. Hallelujah. Death by distraction. Insecurity. 
go ahead and preach to the choir. Insecurities. If you never get a, a control over the insecurities that are in our natural flesh, God can never move you past a point of your insecurity. What you're telling God is that God's not big enough or that God made a mistake calling you. I feel that. I feel it. There's some people with some ministries under the sound of my voice. You have lived your whole life and you've never truly known what your work for God was. Even say some of you have felt a call from God, but it's been so long and you grew up in a time where generational standards didn't allow you to operate in your ministry. There's an anointing here that God has raised up just like he did for Moses and said, I know you think you're up in age, but baby, the world hasn't seen what I'm going to do with you. I said the world hasn't seen. Why? Because you know what it's like uh, to live suppressed uh, and oppressed uh, and Monday through Friday battle hell on earth. Uh, but you also know what it's like uh, to stick around uh, long enough for God to deal with you, uh, God to work on you, and God to raise you up. Insecurities. Death by distraction. Surefire way to kill your ministry. Insecurity, comparison, the cares of this world. That's why we've got, we've got pastors across this world that if they were truly serving oneness, they'd stand flat-footed in the face of sin and wouldn't compromise. Okay. It doesn't matter what the organization, it doesn't matter what your name means, it doesn't matter any of that, but you'd stand flat-footed and say, as for me in my house, we're going to call sin, sin. We're not compromising uh, with the world. If I got some pastors in the house tonight, uh, your job is to preach the gospel. Uh, it's not to sweep it under the rug, uh, but it's to march boldly uh, in the face uh, of the adversary. Do I have any giant killers uh, in the house? certified certified giant killers Philippians 3.14 says preacher why do you care so much about why people are doing what they're doing and who they're doing it for I've been in church long enough to watch people's zeal overrun their consecration. It overran their prayer life. It overran their pastoral covering. It overran their authority. That's why it matters that what you do is for one and one alone. I said, for one and one alone, I press toward the mark of the high call. And that's why it matters to me that I don't have deception in who I serve. 
How can we storm the gates of hell and be worried about who notices how we're fighting? How can we take over a city when we're worried about what people are saying about us? There has been a supernatural anointing on this house. I feel this. I I want you to raise your hand if God has called you to something higher than just sitting on a pew. Sometimes what happens is that we don't don't understand how God moves in his his ways. But can I tell you, God has a word for this house tonight. God doesn't know what you're waiting for. God doesn't comprehend that once he's already called you, he does not understand what you're waiting for. Whether it's death by distraction or death by insecurity or whatever the devil is telling you the holdup is. There's a body in this house tonight that needs to get something down on the inside that say, I press towards the mark. Come on, I press towards the mark. Through my insecurities, through my own disbelief, through my own malfunctions, through my own flesh, I press, I press, I press, I press through. I press toward the mark, the high calling of God. Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. There's a phase that we all go through as saints of God where God will test the sincerity of our service. No, he will. He'll, he'll, he has a way of humbling you. He has a way of checking your intentions. He has a way of really sorting out the impurities that's on the inside of us. Why? Because if God hangs an anointing that's meant to turn this world upside down, if he hangs it on a vessel that is fractured and that is not sure-footed and has no foundation and has never been tested, it would be catastrophic. There's ministries in this house. They're meant to change the world. What God has for you is a holding period. And I'm pleading with you tonight. Don't be weary in well-doing. Come on, don't, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in the small things. Don't be weary in the insignificant things. Don't be weary in the small. As I start to play, there's a couple questions I want to ask for this house. And I'm not, I, I planned on being short tonight because God's going to do a work here. The greatest example of ministry. John chapter 13 and verse 5. The disciples are gathered around. Who who better than for Jesus to give us the example of ministry? Yes, we, we know his power. 
We know it's been manifested. We know his power has been displayed. We know that healings have taken place. We know that the lame has walked, the blind has seen. All these things are accolades for moments in history for his ministry. John 13 and 5 and says, he's around his disciples. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And I want you to have this picture in your mind. To wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I want you to see Jesus with a towel stretched over his arm. The clear image of a servant. The clear image of something that's not glorious. It's not something that gets printed on banners or it's not on reels and slides. It's not something that people talk about. It's not talking about the healings, the power. But what you're left with is an image burned into your mind that when you think of Jesus, you think about a servant and how he's about the last thing that you will know him as is a servant. It's etched into our brains that he wasn't doing it so that the Jews would honor him. He wasn't doing it for the body to recognize him. He wasn't doing it for people to drop down at his feet in reverence. He's painting the image of what we all need to ask ourselves tonight. Where is the deception of oneness? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because in your own life, your own ministries, my own ministry, my own life, it's hard to stay mad at people when you're only doing what you're doing is for God. It's hard to swallow the bitter pill when everything that you do is rooted for His glory. It's not about me. It's never been about me. I'm going to close with this tonight. God's greatest fear. I want you to take what God has shown you to be your ministry. I want you to put it in the palm of your hand. Come on, there's a sweet spirit of consecration here. Come on, there's no more wandering around wondering when God's going to pull your number. My God. Come on, if business is ministry, if reaching souls is ministry, if outreach is ministry, if everything is ministry and we only do it for God, there is no waiting, there is no tomorrow. Come on, it's right now. 
Come on, it's, it's right now. Now, now is the moment. Now is the time. God's greatest fear I pray that I could do this justice and that you feel what I'm about to tell you. God's greatest fear is that you start to put limitations on the call that he's placed on your life. Your ministry, your anointing, your service, it's unto God. God's greatest fear at the end of your life standing before God he shows you everything you were supposed to accomplish the places you were supposed to go the people you were supposed to reach the standards you were supposed to tear down for the people coming behind you. The walls you were supposed to crumble. You told him, I can't do that. Not enough. Uh, you're, you're still working on me, God. He's getting me there. God's getting me there. God's greatest fear. The boundaries you were supposed to break. The paradigm shifts you were supposed to lead. The world changer you were supposed to become. The maximum potential you were supposed to reach. God's greatest fear. It's not becoming everything that you're called to be. Young people, listen to me. The, the transition has already taken place. Sir, the paradigm shift is upon us. Ma'am, the shift is upon us. God's greatest fear Instead, he trusted a house with no limitations. That he trusted a people with no limitations. That he trusted a people with no boundaries to turn this world on its head. God's greatest fear is that his people lived in limitations. Preacher after preacher, pastor after pastor, I've never seen anything like it. The amount of prophetic word for this house, but yet we sit with our ministries limited. Why? Why, preacher? Because the deception of oneness, if you truly had the fear that you were going to disappoint, God. I fear standing before God and that God 
has ordained me to walk and take dominion over places that through my own insufficiencies and through my own comparisons and through my own distractions, I limited God's hand in my own life. Why? Because if we're honest, there's moments where we're not serving for him. If our ministries were driven in oneness, the fear of God come upon us that God, I'm so scared to handle poorly what you trusted me with. God's trying to rid you tonight of the generational curse of boundaries in your mind. For God to be able to work with an unknown capacity in your life. Let me just tell you, church, if you have breath in your lungs, the only limitations that you will ever experience in your own life will be in your own mind. God's greatest fear. He had a ton of potential. He was supposed to be a world changer. She was supposed to lead the charge for generations of abuse. Before you come to this altar, I got one last thing to say. God's got a bone to pick with you women. living in an unprecedented time. There's women that's died praying to God they didn't have the limitations that you don't have. And God spoke to me. Some people are scared to talk like this. I, I serve Him. I serve God. God told me to ask you, ma'am, what are you waiting for? What is it? It's not the boundaries no more. You were talking about the boundaries. You were talking about the speech, the freedom. You were talking, God said, I'm going to give you the souls where, you, where your feet are placed. I'm going to give it to you. God's got a bone to pick with you women. Because what God showed me in prayer was there's a page for you that you've yet to even start on. There's a revival this city doesn't even comprehend. There's ministries laid up at this altar and all you can ask yourself is God, poor old me. I've heard it the last two years. Prophet after prophet. Preacher after preacher. Pastor after preacher. Preacher, come on. He's pulling you. Ma'am, God's calling you. Ma'am, you've got a voice for this generation. Ma'am, God needs you. Ma'am, God needs you. Ma'am, God needs you. God's greatest fear is that you live in limitation in your own mind. you come to this altar tonight 
I've only been in two services like this in my entire life. And it's not because of me. God gets everything. God's trying to reach this house. There is a a turning point tonight in your ministry that says, God, from this moment forward, I'm not going to live in insecurity no more. God, I'm not going to live with comparisons of people amongst myself. God, uh, if you call me to fast, uh, I'm going to fast. God, uh, if you call me to pray, uh, I'm going to pray. God, uh, if you set me apart uh, from people, God, I'm going to obey the season of loneliness. That loneliness you feel. God's trying to tell you it's about nobody else in this world but me and you. The deception you have is that people are supposed to walk with you. But God said, it's me and you. When I place my anointing on you, it's just me and you. When I place my boundaries, then I tell you, you can't go here. You can't go there. You can't listen to this. Other people are to God. God's greatest fear. After tonight, I feel this so strong. After tonight, I don't care if it's my spouse. I don't care if I live in a split home. I don't care if they have not seen what God has shown me. I refuse to stand before God and have to answer for things that I allowed my own limitations, my own insecurities. Some of you have a ministry that's so much bigger than yourself. There's women and men that's watching you as you walk with God, praying that God give them the strength to make the stand. Come on, young men, there's some guys, you, you, you think you're too young. There's men watching you. You don't even know they're looking at you. You're not up here. You're not on the platform. You're not in anything. You're not singing. But they're watching you praying to the Lord. God. Is he doing it just for God? Is he willing to make a stand just for God? Is he willing to step apart from his buddies? Is he willing to step apart from his friends and say, God, from this night forward, I'm not the same person people knew me as. The deception of oneness is not in our doctrine. The deception of oneness is laid up and that even in my moments of insecurity, I can pull myself together and say, God, it's for you. God, even through my own insecurities, in my own shortcomings, in my own failings, God, it was still for you. Every song that I sing, every note that I play is for an audience of one. Oh, we got a problem in the church and it's not our doctrine. God, what am I serving for? God, why am I playing music? 
The horses are here, church. Some of you need to take your anointing by the hand tonight and tell God, God, whatever you have for me, God, whatever you have for me to the depths of the earth, if I lose everything that's standing around me, God, I'd rather walk alone than disappoint my master. Let us pray, church. Let us find a place to weep before God. Your ministry's in the balance. Come on, your ministry is in the balance. Come on. Come on, it's not just a Bible study. God, I do it unto you. God, every note that I sing, every note that I play is unto you, God. Come on, find a place to pray. Come on, this is a moment between you and God. It's not about your buddies that are standing next to you. It's not about your friends that are beside you. Come on, this is a season of consecration tonight. To put everything on the altar. God, everything is under you. Gotta be where you are.
to be Place alone 